podcast about horror movies. I'm your host, comedian Kristen Lighty. And today with us, we have Alaska comedian Cass Smiley. Hey, Cass, how are Hi. you? Hi. Hey. Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm very excited to hear that Sarah Palin lost up in Alaska. That was fun. We, we love to see it. <laughs> we love to see it. Great work. Uh, Cass, for those of you, uh, our listeners, why don't you tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, well, I'm Cass. I'm a lifelong Alaskan, so that means I'm a total weirdo. Uh, and uh, I used to do a lot of stand-up comedy, but not so much anymore. Now I just produce some shows, and then I kind of run a comedy festival up here in the wilds of Alaska. So that's fun. It's the Alaska Before You Die Comedy Festival. Nice. Yeah, what, what would you say is the vibe of Alaska? It's so weird here. So it's like, you know, an ancient land that's actively being colonized by white folks. So you get the feeling of things constantly changing. Most people who live here are not from here. They're all from somewhere else. Um, oh. I was born here, but most of my family came up from Minnesota. So it's just like a weird vibe. And then you get a lot of these like, Christopher McCandless into the wild kind of weirdos who want to come up and prove their their uh, worth by like staying out in the woods and killing a moose or whatever it is uh, that they want to do. So, oh, it's, so I imagine there's a lot of rescue missions to go get those people. The bus that the man went to was like a tourist attraction and people would like make a pilgrimage to go out to the bus. And so many people died going out to the bus that they had to airlift it and remove it from that area because the river that he famously like couldn't cross in the book um, is what's been killing people. So like a story, like a dude and his girlfriend tried to cross the river. He made it. She didn't um, stuff like that. Yeah. So they finally airlifted that bus out of there and Alaskans cheered all across the land because we hate that dude. Yeah. It's such a, it's so stupid. Lots of crazy tourists. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there was just another guy who recently like went hunting with his buddy him two dudes from tennessee just walked out into the wilderness and one never came back and everyone wants to solve the big mystery and it's like well the mystery is you walk too far away from your house and it's scary out there you shouldn't have done that yeah we're we're humans we're used to creature comforts <laughs> yeah but people see this as like unconquered land and they really want to come conquer it so i'm oh. so tired of that attitude though because i've lived here and I grew up like every day in a Bob Ross painting and I just look outside and I'm over it. I do not care anymore. <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah. When I go to someone like, like Chicago or like uh, Cleveland, I get so stoked. I'm like, everything's made of metal and concrete. This is great. It is funny how we always want what we don't have. Absolutely. Oh, hilarious. Uh, so let's see. Uh, what is your relationship to horror? How do you feel about it, Cass? I am a big fan. Uh, I was trying to like trace my like horror fan origin story back to where I thought it would go. And I remember when I was a kid, we used to watch tons of scary movies. Like my earliest memory of like watching scary movies would be like my brother, my cousins. I remember what my brother made me watch Helter Skelter, not really a horror movie, but very scary. And then at the very end made it extremely scary by saying, Charlie's real. He's alive and he's coming (laughs) after you next. (laughs) <laughs> that it worked and then my brother uh, you know my parents were kind of absent so my cousins and I would just entertain ourselves watching horror movies in the basement and then oddly that's also how I found stand-up comedy we would watch like Stephen King's The Graveyard Shift and then chase it with Robin Williams live at the Met so Ooh, kind of yeah. weird 
That's a nice yeah. palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, I think they go well together. And then I was really a big fan of like horror genre books. So like the, I don't think I would have read at all as a kid if it wasn't for scary books. So I started off reading like the scary stories to tell in the dark. And then there was this one a book that had like a story about a woman whose head was held on with like a ribbon and they pull the ribbon off and her head falls off and that yeah. I read it that I almost stole that book from the library I was all about that shit and then uh, I read a, a paperback version of Carrie when I was in like fourth or fifth grade and it was a hand-me-down from my grandmother and she had redacted all the nasty bits that she didn't like <laughs> and she was a Catholic so it was a very heavy redaction on a paperback book with a sharpie which made it like impossible to read oh, but I tried really hard and that was the catalyst of like getting me interested in horror genre novels so I I got like every Stephen King book um I remember in fourth grade my teacher had to call my dad and write a letter home because I was reading the stand for a book report and she thought that was inappropriate and my dad had to defend me by just saying well is she reading I guess she's reading it's no big deal uh, yeah uh, so <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. But yeah, a fourth grader probably should not be reading The Stand. Weird. Yeah, there's a lot of adult themes in there. Um, oh, I, I just liked it because it was a thick book. So it made me look smart. And I carried it around like, I'm reading this. <laughs> oh, I loved all the like adult themes and risque stuff. Like I started with R.L. Stein, but then moved on to Christopher yes. Pike because he was way more smart. Uh-huh. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> Yes. So I was an R.L. Stein head for sure. Me and like, I remember distinctly in fourth grade, we were, I started a book club called the Goosebumps Book Club. And oh, it was me so and, cool. and three other boys. And we would pool, we'd all buy different ones and pull them together and try to get the whole collection. And I remember putting them in this big box. And then at the end of the year, I kind of like gave a lot of my copies away. And my parents were so mad because they invested, you know, like a couple hundred bucks into those books that they thought I'd be collecting forever. But it was a cute, it was cute. Me and my boyfriend's reading horror books under the slide. Oh, that is very cute. We should start a book club. That'd be cool. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? I had to think really hard. Uh, and I think the first horror movie I ever saw was Monster Squad. Uh, and I saw it when I was like four years old. Okay, I was born in 85. So it came out like in 87. And then two years later, I'm watching it on Betamax with my older brother and sister. And every single time the Dracula character came on screen, I would either hide my eyes or physically run out of the room and be scared and then run back in. So, and I identified really hard with the, the little girl character in Monster Squad. All she wants to do is like befriend Frankenstein. That was like my shit. I really, I was like, I am that girl. I would love monsters. They would love me. Yeah, I didn't see that one until I was like, I think in my 30s, late 30s, my roommate played it for me. And I was like, this so is fun. the most heartwarming thing I've ever seen. It's so fun. <laughs> yeah, I remember I that. It. I was obsessed with that one. And then Silver Bullet also as a kid, oh, just yeah. like the idea of kids interacting with these monsters, I think was really interesting to me as a young person. Right. I remember watching all these children in horror movies do these fascinating things. And then I would just look out at my life in Green Bay and be like, meh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even have a pet. Like, I feel like I could relate because Alaska is full of mystery and my dad instilled in me very early that if you walk too far away from your house that you could just end up dead it's like an exposure thing or there's creatures out there or there's things there's violence out there that idea so that was heavily instilled in me and then I could relate to just monsters lurking and uh, 
me and my Goosebump book club friends, I remember we also kind of made a monster club and walked around the school hunting different classrooms, looking for monsters and convinced ourselves there was a Mothman who lived in Fire Lake Elementary, you know, that kind of shit. Any kind of book on cryptids, I had it for sure. And I was convinced that I was going to find one. I was always jealous of like the occult books that they would find at the library and horror movies. Like I scoured my school's library and I never found anything cool. (laughs) Here there's like local folklore, like indigenous lore about a Bigfoot type creature. They call them Kushtakas. And the difference between them and like a traditional Bigfoot is that an Alaskan Kushtaka can like shapeshift and become different creatures. So one minute it would be a raven or something else and they deliver spooky messages. And that's why also like you've never found a body of like a skookum or a Bigfoot because they can shapeshift and change. And it's fascinating. And when I was a kid, we went to the summer camp and the camp was called Camp Kushtaka. They have now changed the name since because they realized probably not smart to be sending kids to scary Bigfoot monster camp. But uh, (laughs) I think all of this kind of informed my identity as like a horror movie fan for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I'm curious, have you watched any of uh, Taka Watiti's programming, like what we do in the shadows or Reservation Dogs? Yes, I'm a big fan of Reservation Dogs. The, I haven't really gotten into what we do in the shadows yet, though. I have a, like, I'm one of those people that if something's really popular, I'll kind of wait until it comes back around and then I'll circle back. But I like him. I like the Star Wars series too, the Mandalorian, all that stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just, I brought up those two series because they got um, reservation dogs, obviously more so, but they kind of highlight that intersection of, um, you know, talking about native culture in, well, what we do in the shadows a little bit more with uh, horror, but I just, I love Takawatiti. He can, I watch anything he makes. <laughs> yeah, I would more indigenous culture represented in media, please because yeah. it's just not enough. And then growing up here in Alaska, it's like we're surrounded by this culture, these, these different cultures and their tribes and stuff. And like uh, a lot of uh, the Alaskan identity is informed by that, even though now when you look at it on its face, most of Alaska's identity on paper is white and they have no knowledge of that stuff. So I love, I love it. I would love for a Alaskan type show like Reservation Dogs to pop up because it would be so needed. Yeah, I I know so little about Alaska. Like I have one coworker, she is like a union organizer and she makes videos on TikTok about how she goes from uh, school district to school district in Little Plains. And uh, it seems like such a different life. It's like a totally different country. It's so wild. And the farther north you go, the more like out of America you feel like you have traveled for sure. Wow. Well, it sounds beautiful. Um, we're about to jump into something not beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so for us to talk about tonight, Cass has chosen, I spit on your grave, 1978 version, the first, um, and, you know, just want to give a little heads up for our listeners. Just want to be thoughtful that we will obviously talk about some pretty graphic things. And if you're not feeling that I understand, uh, and as always on bloody Mary, we go full spoilers. Um, so yeah, let's jump into it. I spit on your grave. 1978 is about a woman named Jennifer, who is a short story author who decides to take some time for herself to work on her writing, uh, out in a rural area in a cabin where she is brutally assaulted by four men, um, raped multiple times, but then finds the strength to reconvene, bring herself back together and sets out to punish and murder these men. 
And so, Cass, what made you pick this movie? Oh, okay. But you sound really good now. Okay. Shoot. Yeah. I was <laughs> freaked out. <sighs> I am so sorry. Again, that's awful. Oh, don't worry about it. Hey, we're uh, we're making it work. It's the home office thing. I had internet at my house for a brief minute because my neighbor uh, was so kind to leave their network open. So <laughs> I was doing a lot of streaming and like home stuff until they must have figured it out. And ever uh, since that network closed up, I was like, ah, bastards. Boo. <laughs> I know. I refuse to pay the internet company here because there's only one and it's a monopoly and they gouge people and they treated my grandmother like complete shit. So I was just like, I'll never pay you. I'll die before I pay you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that is why we're experiencing these problems now. And I am so sorry. It oh, that's okay. <laughs> no, yeah, speaking of my grandmother, when we watched this last night, she watched it with us. Oh, and uh, how did grandma like it? She actually liked it. Uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but she liked it. She's 96. She just turned 96. And um, we watch a lot of horror movies together. It's like her her zhuzh. So that's she awesome. yeah, she liked it enough, but it's still like a hard for you can see her turning away in some some spots like it was too hard to watch but i don't blame her yeah um so before we had uh cut out for a moment i was asking you what made you choose i spit on your grave it's a great question i kept asking myself that over and over again while i was watching it because it, it makes me feel crazy sometimes like why do i like this movie so much um I, I like the content of it because it's a story about female empowerment ultimately and the idea that it's somebody taking their power back and then using their power to kill their rapist to me is very powerful. And I would, I like the kill your rapist genre of horror, like this kind of feminist horror that popped out of reactions to these, this real life violence that women and femme people face. So I think that's why I get drawn to it. Um, it's a it's a lot to watch but there's a lot to talk about i feel like it has really interesting themes and then i also feel like i chose this movie because it got a really bad rap when it first came out but then over time it seems to have kind of like like history in time have almost proved it to be more than what it was so like it got really bad reviews mostly by men when it first came out but uh now that we are entering this me too era I feel like it, it's easier to watch. It doesn't read as like as disturbing anymore, which is kind of scary, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it does say something about how desensitized we've all become. Um, but yeah, I'm actually really glad you chose it because I feel like it's one of those films that ha- um, like it reputa- its reputation kind of precedes it, really. And I hadn't even seen it because I was like, oh, yeah, I know what that's about. I don't. I'm a woman in the world. I don't need to see that. Right. Um, but I'm glad I did because there's so many prominent themes in this film. And the idea of kill your rapist because no one is going to do anything for you, essentially, yeah. in this country. Yeah, no one's going to save you. Yeah. The only thing that's really missing from this film in that respect is like the bumbling cop who is obviously not going to help her. Yeah, um, that it doesn't even really touch on that. It kind of just bypasses that whole thing and goes straight to how she's going to formulate the revenge. Yeah, or or you know the cop who blames her for her own rape, right? Exactly. Like, Have, did you see the movie Men that just came out recently? Yes. I feel like that does a great job of explaining the same themes, it, it, but it goes kind of character by character as to who um, you know abuse these women and how they do it, even if it's subtle microaggressions like that. It's very similar. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, to speak to the movie about this or the controversy about this movie, like when it came out, Siskel and Ebert were just adamantly against it to, you know, um, no, the but, Ebert review is delicious. It's one of my favorite reviews he's ever done because he calls the movie like a violent garbage right off the top. He, and he refuses to even give it the time of day because it disturbed him so much. But not the movie as much as the movie going experience because of the way people reacted in the theater to it. Mm-hmm. But it's a very scary and like visceral uh, rape scenes, the longest rape scene in cinema history. So like, I assume, yeah, it's going to elicit some strange reactions. People laugh and giggle and and um scoff at things all the time to keep from feeling fear you know why take things seriously when you can just blow it off definitely definitely and I think there's something to be said about like putting it in everyone's faces like that you know like one in four women experience sexual assault experience rape and like but oh a movie about it makes people uncomfortable oh I'm so sorry you know (laughs) Yeah, it, it does speak to the idea of like, it happens every day, but you don't want to watch it. Like now that you're in a position where you have to watch that, that kind of horde violence, now you feel uncomfortable. And I think that's what really the value of the movie at first was for me, like that first feeling of like, oh yeah, this is extremely valuable to watch, even though it is terrible and hard to watch. It has value in that regard. And then watching it again as an older woman all these years later, it's like, oh yeah, like uh, it's an extremely powering feeling to watch this woman kind of like reclaim herself uh in the second half definitely um so what are the themes that stuck out to you in this movie one of the big ones for me that i i always i I didn't see really the first time i feel like because the first watch i'm really focused on on jennifer's character like what is her story what she's all about how she feels when she's going through all this stuff Uh, on subsequent rewatches one of the themes that sticks out to me is just like masculinity itself and toxic masculinity specifically uh toxic masculinity tm copyrighted (laughs) that idea that it's inherited and passed down and it is learned and these guys are kind of forming a group with a caste system there's the alpha male and there's the second in command and then there's this like low-lying like perhaps neurodivergent person uh, who's being abused himself too uh, at some degree at the bottom of the totem pole so to see them performing this like masculine task and then and then kind of informing each other and then in the rapes itself like them performing for each other as there's a certain degree of it that's not even about the female character at that point they're literally performing just for each other and it's um, that idea of like the men teach each other how to behave it's all this kind of toxic shit is all learned behavior yeah. And, you know, a few reviews I read had had stated that Matthew didn't rape Jennifer at first because he was concerned for her well-being. But I think it really harkens more to what you're saying about Matthew was afraid to perform in front of the other men. Yes. And then that's I don't want to jump ahead, but in that scene specifically, he's actually really into it. Uh, he, when they're cheering him on and they're hyping him up, they're like zooming him up and they're cheering for him and chanting his name and he it seems to do it for him and then as soon as she turns her face and gives her attention to him and he can see how painful this experience is for her that's one thing it's not really the deal breaker for Matthew Mm -hmm. the deal breaker is when the men start jeering him and start like um kind of tearing him down and making fun of him and then all of a sudden that non-acceptance is really what casts him away even though the only reason he's performing the rape in the first place is to be accepted by this group of dudes Yes. Ugh, so terrifying. 
it is it's so gross but then it's also like it's such a good metaphor for how men stick up for other men oh he's uh, always if, been cool to me right that's exactly <laughs> yeah and it happens all the time and you can kind of see the structure within this group a group of dudes and how, and how they kind of protect each other and they want the story to move forward and their one problem is they kind of hinge their whole murder plan on the the quote dumb guy and they let the dumb guy take care of it which you should never let the dumb guy take care of it yeah well you know it was uh i i feel like they found an out there they could say oh well you know it was matthew womp, womp. we we can't be held accountable because he's just you know neurodivergent and he'll yeah it's the dirty work yeah exactly i did find it really interesting as well like when jennifer gets everything together and like concocts her plan to come for these men and you know she wants answers all of them are like sniveling and begging for forgiveness but no one is willing to be accountable and just say you know I'm sorry that, I mean, I guess Matthew said, I'm sorry, but you know, none of them are like accountable. It was always someone else's idea and they just went along with it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's striking. Like uh, the leader, we'll call him the ringleader. I think I wrote it down in my notes. He's the gas station train conductor guy. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, he's wearing like a full train conductor's like jumpsuit, like a mechanic. Um, very strange. Like, how are you going to, rape someone when you're wearing a fucking romper like what is your problem um, yeah. but that guy he, he's the alpha of the group and he kind of instigates this uh and really the impetus of the whole the whole uh, assault is these guys know this girl comes to town um first of all she commits the cardinal sin like right when she rolls into town she goes to the gas station and tells them too much information about herself um just assumes everyone out in the country is very friendly and she's like i'm staying at this place by myself i i do this for a living and really kind of lets them in when she shouldn't. And then when Matthew delivers her groceries, he finds out she's actually really nice and she's kind of interested in having a friendship with him. And that's very different for him because it seems like in town, he's not so well received because people think he's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, and then he goes back to the others who are all at the gas station and he's like, hey guys, what do you want to do? Do you want to go bowling? Do you want to go fishing? Do you want to do whatever? And they're like, we do that stuff every week. And then the alpha male guy, train conductor dude, is like, follow me, I got an idea. And that's kind of the impetus of this whole idea is that they're bored, they don't have shit to do, pretty girl just came to town. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, it's just like, ugh. but how many times have you heard dudes talk about the dumb shit they get into just because they're bored? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, just people in general. And then like all she's doing is just like a, a, a weekend of like self-care and retreat and she's just chilling in a bikini, in a hammock, writing a book, canoeing, you know, doing real hot girl shit. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, there were, there were a few moments in this film that like, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you. So I was like, I found like when she walked outside and it was nighttime and she was hearing the hoops and hollers and she went outside, there was this little voice in my head that was like, don't go outside. Right. But, you know, also there's the other voice in my head that's like, you're an adult woman. You should be allowed to go outside. And I think, you know, growing up uh, when I did, like there was just a lot of, um, you know, things you were expected to know and follow as a woman to keep yourself safe, right? Rapists yeah. were always thought of as like this supernatural being that'll get you. Um, yeah, cat burglar. 
little yeah. snake in your house in the middle of, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I think the conversation about Aziz and Zari, like pushing at, at that girl for sex really, um, highlighted a, a generational change in how we think about these interactions. And like, I realized in my own thinking, how conditioned I had been to always protect myself, but never think about like, well, it's not my responsibility to protect myself. It's the responsibility of someone else to not rape, you know? Yeah. And I think that's all part of this bigger idea of like patriarchy itself and like misogyny is that it, the onus is now on you, not only to not be assaulted, but to protect yourself from ever being assaulted by not even living a full open life, Yeah, which is completely unfair. So I think it, this scene with Jennifer, the opening scene, like, you know, the first uh, act of the movie is her kind of just showing up to this town and, and setting up expectations for herself as to what she would like her life to look like by herself. She doesn't have a need for a man. She literally is paying these dudes no t- attention, no mind at all to the point where like they come in and verbally or like, you know, they harass her and the, they bring their little boat around and they do their little uh, whoopty shit circles. And they're like, mom, mom, look at me, mom, mom, mom. Yeah. And she doesn't give them the time of day. And I think it's those little microaggressions of just her living her life. But to men, they're seen as microaggressions. Um, yes. because there's no attention being paid to them. Yeah, they're not the center of the attention. No, she's just trying to do hot girl shit and hang out and write a book. Yeah, and I got to say, like, as, I mean, I consider myself to be successful. I live on my own. Um, and I feel like in my past, men have been very threatened by that. Not all men. Yeah. Like, I have a boyfriend now. He's a good, he's, a, he's one of the good ones. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, dating other comics, you can't talk about, things you've gotten or it'll seem like too proud and sure <sighs> it's a real nightmare well, it, ch- it changes the system of like pa- that patriarchy sets up where like mm. you are dependent physically emotionally financially on the other gender and so by changing that dynamic and then being able to be successful on our own it does put some male people in a tizzy you know they don't they don't know how to feel needed anymore so I feel like that's an underlying theme of this is like a lot of these dudes don't feel useful. They're not needed in any capacity, even though train conductor guys got a wife and two kids that he could be worrying about. But instead, he's out here, you know, assaulting people, being a jackass. I think, you know, one of the most powerful scenes in the movie to me is, you know, when Jennifer survives the rape, she goes back to her. She's putting everything back together. She finds the boat. She ties it up. She puts her pages back together. She keeps writing. And I think, you know, it was subtle, but that was like such a powerful scene about carrying on and how as women, that's just what we're expected to do. You know? Yeah. How many times have you had to put the pieces back together for yourself after trauma? I think like when she's literally piecing her writing back together, she's doing that and that's like the very first step of her being able to regain any kind of control she like you know washes the shit all off of her and like puts on clothes uh it's it's this kind of idea of like she went out to the uh, the lake for self-care but now she really has to take care of herself uh because she's injured and she she doesn't in this particular film the female character doesn't ask for help in any way um uh, i noticed my the version i watch is the remastered so there's a scene where she goes into a church oh, yeah. and she's got, yeah. And she kind of just like kneels and prays and it, you can kind of tell that the subtext is like, she's almost like preemptively asking for forgiveness because she knows exactly right then what she's going to go do. So she kind of goes to make peace 
uh, at the church before gathering up her like final thoughts for like what kind of revenge she's gonna seek. But I feel like that's the last, like, it's almost like she kind of comes to terms with who she was and then who she's going to become. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful summation. And then also, I don't know if you caught it, the, I watch a lot of Westerns with my dad growing up and there's always, you know, this symbi- the symbiosis of like the good guys wearing the white hat and the bad guy always wears the black hat. So she's very colorful dress character and then the rape occurs and then she goes into her house and when she reemerges, she's wearing all black head to toe. She's got like a black uh, do-rag and glasses, everything black. So you can kind of tell right then that her character has switched and that she means business and that she's not the woman that she was in the first act. Yeah, she's going to do some murder. Yeah, and it's so good. I will, the, the rape scenes did feel like unrelenting because of the way that they like followed her. They followed yeah. her through the forest multiple times in the forest. Then we get to her home and we think she's safe. She's not even safe in her own home. And I think that really speaks to the idea, too, of like, you know, when we are taught about rapists, it's always someone who's going to jump out of a bush and and get us, you know, Uh, when in actuality, it's much more likely to be someone, you know, in your own home. Yeah, I agree. And the the assaults themselves are broken down in almost like a horror vignette would be. So it's got Mm -hmm. these different scenes. And you have four different assailants and they happen in different locations at different um, times. Oh no, did I freeze again? All right, there you are. You're um, good. But yeah, so the, like the first attack is, is the, this kind of, yeah, is super violent, but performative. And then there's a guy who's wearing just like jeans and overalls. There's no shirt. It's giving like a very strong deliverance vibe. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the way that he assaults her is very similar to the assault and deliverance, which came out a couple of years before this movie. And then the, the second or the third assault happens inside the house. Uh, and it's kind of similar to like the last house on the left, like that kind of idea of this like girl outside alone. And then she finally gets home and she thinks that she's safe. Um, and then the last attack is basically them just kind of like goading Matthew into performing this act while they all kind of stand around and chant and cheer for him. Um, but he, he can't complete it and he can't come, which he laments over for the rest of the movie, (laughs) just, you know, typical dude over and over again. Well, I didn't get to come. It wasn't, I didn't get to, like, it was, it was so bizarre to see like such a horribly violent act. And then paired with their absolutely juvenile behavior. And like, yeah, at one scene there's, they're talking and then somebody says, but wait, do women shit too? And it's like, how dumb are these? And they're just completely uneducated about how to speak to women and they don't really seem to care. Yeah. Which is ironic because it seems like she could have built up a rapport enough, at least with Matthew, to maybe get to a place where there could be some kind of romantic feeling because she really did give him the time of day. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think it speaks to like the different ways that men approach uh, their prey and how aggressive they are and how, and, and like you were speaking to earlier about coercion and, and that kind of stuff. There's so many different ways to assault and violate somebody's consent. Uh, and it kind of gives you like a good picture of how, what these guys tactics were at least. Yeah. I, I felt also like when they mocked her writing, that was Ugh, just, that just felt just as brutal. Yeah. I can't imagine lying naked on the floor and then getting emotionally assaulted on top of everything. Like what a fucking nightmare. They read out her 
her writing, which is obviously about herself too. And like her journey and finding herself and like this uh, new road she's going on. I'm just like, ugh. I, I've been there personally where someone has done that kind of thing where they've read my poetry or they've mocked my stand-up in that kind of like shitty misogynistic way, but never when I was so vulnerable like that, like just after being assaulted, I can't even imagine. No, me neither. And, you know, there were so many comments that the men made about how like any man would have done this. Um, you know, I don't remember the rest of them offhand, but it got me. Yeah, thinking. he when she asked him why, like when she asked the train conductor, dude, like, what what's your deal? He was basically like, uh, you got out of your car and you showed me your legs mm-hmm. and you have beautiful legs. You know what you were doing with your legs and you saw how I was responding. And there was obviously some kind of flirting there. So the idea of using that as like an entitlement reason to attack someone when you literally through marriage oh, technically own another woman like you. Yeah, I mean, it's so dumb. Um, but I also love that his, his kill scene is just it's like the best, <laughs> most delicious thing. It was. Yeah. But those comments, though, like this movie was 50 years ago. And those comments just really stuck in my head about like, it's just what any man would do. It's locker room talk. Like it was a conversation we were having in like 2017 with Trump and his bullshit. And it's like, holy shit, have we not really come as far as we think we have? I don't know. (laughs) No, I totally agree. I think that like recent, the recent developments have been monumental and the shift has really changed to where like people even can, we can see like, different types of assaults as being raped that aren't physical and things like that. Like the, the lexicon and the language is changing and it's uh it's really nice to see. And then to go back and watch like you said, 50 years, this, that's crazy. The thing that's this old, Yeah. but um, that it kind of almost age, it ages better than it did when it first came out. Cause people were so oblivious to the idea that those kind of assaults could happen. And if they weren't oblivious, they just did not want to hear about them. Mm-hmm. And now the idea that what, you know, it's so prevalent in women's lives that we should be listening and, and, and paying credence to them and believing women. Uh, I feel like it's a powerful movie in that regard because it, it gives you like a, a like black and white blueprint of like, nope, this is how men were behaving even back then. So it's possible. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. And, you know, I want to think we've come a long way, but in Wisconsin with the repeal of Roe, we have a trigger law that went into oh, effect no. that's from like 1840. <laughs> yeah. ah! That's awful. Yeah. In Alaska, we're lucky. We're one of the newer states. So we had a state constitution that's really badass. And in our state constitution, they protect Roe and then also the, the right to uh, use cannabis. So, you wow. Know, so- yeah, and now, but the Republicans are trying to repeal that and get us to change the Constitution and re- reevaluate it. So we're kind of fighting that. So we're very happy that Sarah Palin lost. Which, Hell yeah. Woof. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so, oh, there, there's one other theme that really jumped out at me, and that's with Stanley. And when Stanley was raping Jennifer, you know, he wanted total submission. So yes. then Jennifer just like Jennifer's given up. She's in so much pain. She just totally gives up. And then then Stanley is saying, oh, she just lies there like a mannequin. I can't I can't do this. And it's like, what was going on there in Stanley's mind, do you think? 
it's the Louis C.K. Harvey Weinstein thing of the kink is not the act, but the way it makes them uncomfortable. And they get off on physically making you squirm, making you cry, making you uh, upset. And the, the more like uh, neutral and like zero that you give them, the more angry or turned off they would become. So I feel like that's kind of his deal is that he really wants her to fight and kick and scream and like be scared. But then when she's just too exhausted, he's like, "Ugh, this is no fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, that makes total sense. And then also the that. So then, you know, and then it's Matthew's turn. And then there's these like, you know, after all the men kind of finish one by one, like that's when the assault stops is after they orgasm and they're no longer interested in sex. You know, they have their post nut clarity and they're like, we got to get the hell out of here. Zoinks. Mm -hmm. And they all try to run away. Um, So like, it's just so gross to me that it's just like this mental mentality, this mob mentality. But as soon as the last person in the mob is orgasmed, it's all over. Yeah, truly. This is truly one of the scariest movies ever because <laughs> Because it's so realistic. I feel like yeah. if people are waiting, like, no, it's not even that scary. It's more dramatic. It's actually terrifying if you're ever in that position where that could be you. I think that's why I identified. I'm a uh, survivor of sexual assault, not to this degree, because this is bananas. But uh, as a person who survived that, like, yeah, I would love for my rapist to actually have consequences. And I would love to be in a position where I could, you know, kill my rapist and get away with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause like, you know, the FBI don't come out. you know, uh, and I can't even count on the, my hand, the time, number of times I've been pressured for sex by men and absolutely no repercussions whatsoever, ever. So I'm just curious if there are any other themes that jumped out at you in this movie. Other than like, like female empowerment, for sure. Like the idea of women regaining their power after trauma. And then the just like the evolving attitudes around assault and me too and like believing women um you know i feel like it's come a long way and this movie kind of shows especially with like when you read the reviews the attitudes about these kinds of stories and i feel like there are more support groups and more more uh, emotional support and now with like the online forums you can actually like get immediate support from people I feel like this movie was re-released, which it was subsequently with a couple sequels. You know, they got better reception over time just because the attitude and the acceptance that this kind of shit happens and that we should, you know, try to change the culture around it or, or whatever. Like that idea of uh, people accepting that it's actually a thing mm-hmm. and that the monsters are real and that we know them and that we have to do something about it is kind of comforting to me in a way. I feel like this movie is a great time capsule time capsule to let you know like where how where we were and where we are now yeah I totally agree yeah and I've always hated that idea of like just because we don't talk about something doesn't mean people aren't suffering you know (laughs) yeah talking about it it might be awkward but it always makes it better yeah the idea of shutting down people's experiences because they make you uncomfortable has never sat well with me yeah hundred percent. So this is an odd question to ask with a, a movie that has a half hour of brutal rape scenes, but Hey Cass, what's your favorite part? <laughs> okay. My, I have a couple of favorite parts. My first is like, I really love the poster the tagline for the poster is amazing. The poster itself is like so cool and seventies and fun, but essentially the tagline is this woman has just cut chopped, broken and burned five men beyond all recognition. 
but no jury in America would ever convict her. <laughs> yeah, that poster is amazing. Yeah, and, like, this movie actually was entitled Day of the Woman, uh, which yeah. I think is a great title, but it didn't test well, uh, mostly among men. So they changed the title to a couple other things, but the one that stuck uh, was I Spit on Your Grave. And honestly, I think that is what draws people in. So I'm glad that they changed the title and it's just a fun, God, it's fun. I wish I could spit on lots of people's graves. <laughs> and yeah. then another part I really, really loved is this, the the first kill or the, no, I guess it's not the first kill, the kill of the train conductor guy. Mm-hmm. She, kill, she kills him in the bathtub in one of the most like epic scenes ever. Uh, it makes every person with a penis completely uncomfortable uh it's like one of those things where like you know you could only dream of it but she essentially seduces him into her bed she goes back to the gas station in a sexy dress and some makeup and she says literally nothing Mm -hmm. and he talks her way into the car and then into the way into her house um and then eventually into this bathtub where they're having this sensual bath together and she's washing him and massaging him and slowly reaches her hands down and starts um you know giving him like a hand job under the water and then she reaches outside the tub and brings up this knife and there's this tremendous amount of suspense and it, it, right everyone knows what's going to happen and the man just keeps talking and bloviating and then all of a sudden there's just a quick like pop and some weird awkward tension and he doesn't really even notice he's bleeding or cut at first and then this big bubble of blood pops up in the tub and it's really one of the first like absolutely gory nightmare scenes in the movie um so if you're like a horror fan looking for like raunchy kills it's one of the best because then she just leaves him to like hold his dick and run around the bathroom screaming and crying about how his dick got cut off it's lovely well she locks him in and listens to classic music oh that's my favorite part she's like i'm not listening to this shit and cranks the vivaldi or whatever so good Yeah, that uh, it was so interesting when she killed Johnny and Matthew, how she weaponized her sexuality to lure them in. Yes, very like it, it's so smart. The idea of like turning what they wanted from her against them. Yeah, yeah. I will admit, yes. like when she first lured Matthew in and is having sex, with I was so uncomfortable. I was like, what is going on? What? <laughs> like, yeah, wait. And then one thing about her kills is she uses items related to each of the, uh, each individual, each individual assaulter in their murder. So like for Matthew, she uses the boat rope that was attached to her boat. And then um, for like the train conductor guy, she uses the knife that Matthew brought over. And then the next guy, he, he's the guy who introduces the ax, but yet he's the guy who gets the ax buried in his Mm. back. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So it kind of, she kind of uses like what's available. She doesn't even go out of her way to like buy any gear or tools. She's a total badass. Yeah. I I gotta say my favorite part was that scene where she is coming in the motorboat with the ax. Like I want a poster of that. It was so powerful. It's crazy good and there's another movie in this similar genre called gator which came out a few years before and the idea of it, it's a, a a cajun woman who lives in the everglades and it's very similar themes very similar imagery so i really like the way how this director um uses all these different pieces and kind of builds his own story and i guess when you like read the lore of why he made the movie the director himself claims that he stumbled upon a rape victim crawling out of like the bushes onto a roadside and helped her get to safety and then asked her questions and they went to a police officer for help and uh, he asked the policeman to like take this woman to the hospital to get her some assistance 
and the cop kind of grilled her and was very like um, useless, do nothing. And, mm-hmm. and it, it really cost her time. And then the, the rape victim's father eventually sent him like a, like a thank you letter saying that he saved her, his daughter's life. Uh, so I feel like people misunderstand this movie and they feel like it comes from an exploitative place where he's actually like exploiting the female character and um, glorifying rape, but actually, I feel like it's a it's a condemnation more than it is anything else. He's really kind of putting it out there for everyone to see how fucking awful it is, and and how these women just are doing nothing but just living their lives. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. And then I read something also about how the male staff or actors, I guess they're called, not staff. Uh, they agreed to be totally nude in solidarity with Jennifer's character because she spends the majority of the film naked. And uh, I thought that was really cool, that actor solidarity. Yeah, and for a man to be naked without a giant erection, I think is very vulnerable to a lot of men. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's brilliant to have that in the film. And then they they do seem kind of vulnerable at a time, especially because they're in almost all of the kill scenarios she's ending up like getting them naked a second time and where they are the ones they are being vulnerable and being violated so i thought it was cool that the the directors and actors like talked about it enough to where that became part of the plan because mm-hmm. if i was na- if i was naked for 75 percent of a movie i would also want someone else to be naked in the woods with me yeah <laughs> i feel a little less weird yeah it was naked and afraid before that was a thing yeah yeah exactly uh, so yeah, Cass, any final thoughts on I Spit on Your Grave? Yeah, the the last thing that I absolutely love about this movie is the very last line of the movie is something that she repeats to one of the assailants during the assault. He tells her to suck it, bitch. And at the very end, after she puts this boat motor all up in his face and just like one of the goriest kills, she just yells out, suck it, bitch, and drives away in a motorboat. And it's one of the most badass things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. In that moment, you really felt like justice was served. Yeah. And the idea of someone saying like, suck it, bitch, as like an insult and then being able to turn around and make it powerful. Uh, it's just, I can relate to that, taking mean, nasty words and then using them to empower yourself. I identified quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I would say that there's that theme in comedy as well. Yeah, and then the only other thing I'll say, I watched this movie with my grandmother. She's 96, her name is Dorothy. <laughs> and um, when we got, um, like right after the bathtub dick chopping off scene, she turned to me and said, okay, now we only have two to go. <laughs> so I can tell yeah, grandma. <laughs> yeah, she loved it. She was like stoked to see that movies like this could even exist because she comes from an era where like none of this ever got talked about and everybody kept it very quiet. So she thought yeah. it was disturbing, but empowering. Yeah, I can imagine, so. you know, I just look back at like my mother's generation and previously, you know, women weren't allowed to be the breadwinner. So you had to make it work. You had to endure God knows what, or what are you going to do? Not have a place to live, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's definitely where she's coming from. And she's stoked that like, we can recognize these things. And then men also are getting like called out on these things. And this form of media, you know, horror. I feel like the horror genre above other genres is very good at calling out hypocrisies and injustices and shining a light on the way that people behave in society. Um, so the, especially uh, rapists, you know, let's just call it out for what it is. And I appreciate that about the genre, especially as a, a woman who, who's like marginalized and at risk of this stuff all the time, you know? 
So mm-hmm. it's like one of my favorite things. The horror genre can be anything. It's it's comedy, it's tragedy, it's thriller, it's drama. It encompasses all genres. Uh, so it's just like, it's the best. It's my favorite thing. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's how I feel too. It's so good. Yeah. All right. Well, Cass, where could people find out about what you're working on and what are you excited about? What you got coming up? Uh, well, I took a whole year off from my day job, which is like gardening um, and landscaping stuff. And I just took a whole year off to hang out with my gram. And oh, nice. uh, yeah, it's been great to not have to get up and go to work every day. But I, I do work on this comedy festival uh, that we have every, once a year. It happens every April in Alaska. So I have an inbox full of submission videos that I have to watch eventually. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's like way too much to watch 75 submission videos in a day. So um, God I'm working speak, on my friend. I, I know it's awful, <laughs> but fun. Uh, we have a committee. So we all kind of get together, drink beer and watch pizza or eat pizza and watch the vids. And it's not so bad. Oh, that sounds um, fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on getting that already because we're going to do another roundup in April. So um, yeah. And then if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Cass Smiley instagram i don't i don't fuck with facebook anymore uh but yeah I'm, I'm out there on the platforms i mostly just rant about things but on i will say on twitter right now i've been doing like a spooky watch of different horror films uh and i've been leaving like a long thread of the different ones i've watched and how i feel about it so if you're interested in any of that you just go on my like, twitter and check it out oh that's fun i'll have the bloody mary account retweet that that's very cool Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we could make the internet work. In yes, the- thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. My home office slash coffee shop is very crazy. No, I appreciate that you are willing to talk about this movie in the coffee shop. So, <laughs> uh, it I people have been staring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's been Cass Smiley. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Creeping up in